Welcome. It's great to have you all here. Is everybody up? Well, that's good, you know, because uh, on Monday something happened that almost never happens. Uh, Google says that about for about 45 minutes their authentication system went down. That brought down Gmail and YouTube. Some people couldn't even turn on their lights because they were smart lights. <laughs> so it was kind of a problem. There was kind of some silver lining to this, though. You know, for at least a little while, while YouTube was down, some students got some extra work done. <laughs> so there's always a silver lining to these things. Well, it's time to turn the time over to someone who always sees the silver lining. It's Dr. John with the Technology Spotlight. <laughs> I want to introduce you to someone who is so smart that they can solve really hard problems. Problems that are so hard that they're hard even for supercomputers. Okay? And here he is. Or it. This is slime mold. It's a single cell organism and it's actually a pretty good pet, you know. If, if you like this kind of pet, doesn't make a lot of noise. All it needs is oatmeal, plenty of oatmeal, and it'll just grow and grow and grow, right? Pretty exciting. <laughs> Actually, there are a lot of really neat experiments that you can do with this slime mold. And uh, I want to talk about one of those where they used it to solve a problem that's called the traveling salesman problem. And this is actually a really hard problem. And uh, here's the idea. You imagine a traveling salesman, and he's got to travel to different cities and sell his product at every single city. And he wants to figure out the very shortest route to go from one city to the next to every single city that he's traveling to and end up where he started. The very shortest route. So in order to do that, uh, you would have to you know, measure the distance between the cities and then calculate which way is the very fastest. If you start out with just like six cities, there are about 360 possibilities that you could try. But if you change that to like 10 cities or more, then there are millions of possibilities. And this quickly becomes hard even for supercomputers to solve all the different ways. So uh, here's an example of the computer processing all these different routes, trying to find the fastest. And as you watch, it'll start to kind of figure it out. It's trying different things. But there are a lot of different ways. And it's really hard to know if you actually have the very most efficient way, unless you try all the different possibilities. So there are algorithms that try to figure this out, and a lot of really interesting processing techniques with supercomputers or quantum computers. But these researchers at Japan used slime mold. And now how in the world could slime mold figure out the answer to this really hard problem? Slime mold only does two things. It moves towards food, and it moves away from light. That's about it. That's everything it does. Well, they used its efficient movements like that to actually calculate this problem. Let me show you a time lapse of their experiment. And you can kind of see it moving in the middle there. But they used the intensity of light to tell the slime mold how far away the different places were. And that movement uh, changes the intensity of the light. 
and the way that it moves tells them which city it's going to, right? Doesn't that sound like what we need? Slime mold computers, right? <laughs> Solve everything. Well, that doesn't seem very useful because it, you know, it took a while for the slime mold, but the really amazing thing was that it could solve the problem uh, with a linear amount of time if you add more cities. Well, you compare that to a computer trying to figure it out with an algorithm, the more cities you add, the harder it gets exponentially. Really, really quickly, it gets very, very hard. But it's using a different technique that's more efficient. But now, the researchers have taken that idea of the slime mold <laughs> and made an analog computer that does the same kind of thing. And that's more like a normal computer, which means that it can run faster than the slime mold and more reliably, probably, and a lot of things like that. Uh, but it also means that um, we might be able to make a chip that does this, an analog computer chip that can solve these really hard problems. Now, you're probably wondering, who cares about the traveling salesman, you know? <laughs> who cares? But it turns out that that problem actually is a really, really important problem. Let's take an example of, say, our postal service. So we've got a bunch of packages that have to go to all these different houses. So instead of a city, it's a house. And we have all these different places. And so we're trying to figure out the very most efficient route that the driver can drive around on to deliver all of those packages. Well, we could just guess and, you know, set him, or let him choose, you know, you go wherever you want. But if we were to figure out the very most efficient route, we could save a small percentage of his time. And that would make it so he could carry more packages. And if we're doing a really large area, a lot of city, or the, the whole city, or a lot of cities across the country, that would make it so we wouldn't need as many cars, or we wouldn't need as many uh, deliver, delivery men to carry the packages. And pretty soon, it would cost way less to deliver the same amount of stuff. Well, this same problem applies to all kinds of things, warehouses and uh, algorithms for manufacturing where we have to figure out the most efficient way to pick the pieces up and put them on the circuit boards and stuff like that. So there are a lot of applications that could save millions of dollars if we could just improve the efficiency a teeny bit. So it's actually a really big deal. Now, uh, here's a little diagram of their analog computer. And then over there on the other side, the right side, you can see where they actually built one. Yeah, they actually got a graduate student to hook all the wires up. <laughs> Looks like it took a while, doesn't it? Uh, but uh, they were able to verify that it actually works. And in their actual hardware demonstration, they only did four cities, <laughs> uh, which isn't quite as impressive. But then in their simulators, they did lots and lots more cities and proved that they have that linear growth in the amount of time it takes. If you look at this slide, on the left there, that's the amount of time it takes to solve with their analog computer. It's the number of cities across the bottom. And they, they tested up to like 30 cities. And then on the other side, the right side, you see the amount of time it takes for the computer algorithm. And you can see that at first it's faster, and then as you add more cities, it gets slower and slower, and it's going up really fast by the end of the graph. So you can see that theoretically, they could pull this out and do a whole bunch more cities than the computer can in a much less amount of time. So that's pretty amazing potential there. We'll, we'll see where this goes.
And you know, you never would have thought that it would be slime mold, right? So eat your oatmeal. Maybe someday you'll grow up as smart as slime mold. Or smarter, right? <laughs> That's all the tech we have the time for. <laughs> Now it's time for Breakthrough Moments in Science with Tobias. Well, I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, I do have to put up a disclaimer, though. Um, you can't feed it oatmeal, so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, when you're making inventions, do you just get it done, you know, or do you go all out? Do you go the extra mile? You know, I don't always go the extra mile, but when I do, it's usually because I miss my exit. But, <laughs> but no, we're talking about something super cool called fiber optic cables. Now, fiber optic cables, is that like, you know, I mean, we, let me show you a, a little demonstration. So these are, Ta-ta. Whoa, let's do a tight shot here. Oh, there we go. Look at this magic. What is going on? This is like a Christmas tree. Um, look at how it's bending the light. That is cool. Well, it turns out it's much cooler than just a neat flashlight. In fact, it has transformed our world and made our communication and other data transferring so much faster and the latency behind it so much less. And latency, so... I mean, you don't want to have a phone conversation where you're talking to, I mean, if you imagine this in real life, it's like if you told somebody a joke, and then she said no, and they just sat there. <laughs> okay, that was a latency issue. Um, okay, you probably need to refine your joke. But our brains don't have problems with that usually, right? Well, with data transfer or communication, it's not too bad if you're near, nearby each other. But when you start talking about across a state, across a country, across the ocean, all of a sudden data transfer and being able to communicate in a timely manner is a big deal. And so we're going to jump all the way back to the mid-1800s when a scientist discovered that if he filled a container with a liquid and he had a hole in it, you can see this, this light liquid coming out, pouring down into another container. He actually shone a light through the little hole and discovered that the light would bend down with the water and go down into the container. Now, what was happening here? Well, it turns out light travels in a straight line, okay? And it still is traveling in a straight line inside of that falling arch of liquid. So how does that work? Well, it turns out that the light is being reflected inside of the liquid. So if you have like a, a piece of glass or some kind of clear substance like this, and you shoot a laser through it, the laser, depending on what angle you shoot it at and depending on what kind of material that clear solid is made of, the laser light may be refracted. If you look at this picture, it's being refracted to where the direction is changed. So do you see how it's coming in a straight line from the top? It goes through, oh, it's a different direction now. And then when it comes out the bottom, it's a different direction. Well, it turns out if you have the right kind of glass or other clear material and it's the right kind of density, and you get the right angle with that laser, you can do something like this, which is where you, you achieve total ref refraction, where if you notice he's shooting a laser and it's pointing up, but the moment it goes into that glass, it's reflected down, it's reflected all inside of the glass. 
And that is the basis of fiber optics, is some kind of a channel where light, once it's inside, reflects inside and it doesn't escape. And it, it takes having the right angle and also having the right material. Well, we knew about this. We knew about you could make neat lights with it. You could bend light or if you had clear plastic even. And places like dentistry were really excited because now I've got a flexible light and look in your mouth better. Um, and they were using it like that. So it was a, a neat flashlight. And somebody started to come up with the idea and the thought of what if we tried using this kind of technology for data transfer because light travels really fast. So if we could have a wire that was light and if we could somehow get it super, super high quality wire, and in fact somebody started to research that and they made a lot of calculations and determined that if somebody could figure out how to make a clear enough glass that was so, so pure and they even had a numbering uh, system to how pure it would have to be, then you would be able to send data over this light to, at very, very long distances and very efficiently, but there was no such glass. Um, it's not like you can just, okay, I'm going to get a container, get it really hot, melt the glass, and get it really pure. This is really pure because any imperfections that the light runs into will cause that light to be scattered, and you'll get a, a weaker and a weaker signal. So this became the race, and this is like the mid-1900s now, and we're trying to find a way to create a wire of glass that we can use for high-speed data transfer to replace things like copper wires, okay? So at a company called Corning Incorporated, these three men were working on a solution, a way to create really, really pure glass for this. And they actually came with a, a major breakthrough in being able to do this. And basically what they did was they created the glass um, in a, a chemical manner where they basically had an outside tube of glass, okay, and they bring it together, they bring two of them together, they melt it until it's joined, and then inside of that external tube, they gasify different chemicals, and those chemicals come together, and inside of that tube, and there's multiple ways that they did it, but basically they created a pure glass silica inside of the tube, and it wasn't something that was created in a container and purified, they literally made it right there inside and it was under incredible heat and they were able to produce a kind of glass that was clear enough to get some of these numbers that people had just been kind of dreaming about. Now the way that they did it was they had two kinds of glass. The inside was that special silica and the outside was a glass with a different density and other chemicals doped inside or mixed in it. So if you look at this diagram this kind of shows you the little line going through the middle that's the light. And because the outside glass, which they call the cladding, was a different kind of glass at just the right refraction difference, when it would hit that other glass, it would reflect, if it was shown at the right angle, which this is the correct angle, it would reflect back into itself and stay in that middle core. And they were able to do this. And they were able to start producing it. And the way they would produce it is now we've got this rod of glass, okay, but we, we only need like a hair of glass. And so what they would do is they'd heat it to a very high temperature, about 2,000 Celsius, 2,000 degrees Celsius. And it, they, they call it drawing the glass, where they pull it, and the part that they start pulling, up, pulling away from itself makes this little strand of glass. And that is the fiber. But there was a problem. 
And the problem was if they pulled it too fast, it would break. And if you're trying to make this to be run for miles and miles and you can't pull it fast to make it, that's going to take a long time to make and it's going to be pretty expensive. Well, that was a big issue. In fact, they had it in the lab for about 15 years trying to figure out how to pull. The fastest they could pull it, like the top speed, was two meters a second. If they pulled faster than two meters a second, break. Well, this is when um, Corning brought another member to the team named Thomas Mensa. And he had just come out of I, uh, MIT, and he had been studying chemical engineering. And he came in as the fourth member of this group. And this was the problem they were trying to solve at the time. And so he analyzed the issue, and he determined that the place where this issue was happening was when they were putting a special coating on the glass thread. And he found that there were microscopic bubbles that were getting into that coating when they were finalizing everything. And he suggested that they try putting, injecting carbon dioxide into that coating section and lo and behold, it fixed the problem. The bubbles, and not only did the bubbles being gone help it be stronger, but it also helped it be an even clearer piece of strand. Now, when they did this, they did other things as well that we're not gonna get into, but they were able to eventually change it from two meters a second that they could pull it to 50 meters in one second that they could pull it. And all of a sudden, they got the cost down to actually competing with copper, and they were able to finally take it out of the lab and make it into a product. Now, why is this a big deal? You know, being able to have this light that can go through the, and by the way, they use a laser usually to send this light. Well, it turns out that we, we have to stop and think about, okay, what's going on? Well, it's computer language, remember? Computers just know yes, no, no, yes. People who talk like that are really frustrating sometimes, you know, where it's like, hey, do you like this shirt? No, yeah, I like it. And then those other people, yeah, no. I don't know. You know, if you're trying to learn English, you're so confused. So you like it sometimes. <laughs> but computers only know on, off, yes, no, one, zero. That's the language they know. So all you need, if, you need a, if you're trying to find a way to send computer data, you just need an on and an off. How about a light on and off? I mean, with electrical signal going over those copper wires, you can send an electric current. You send it or don't send it. With light, you send the light and you don't send the light. It's binary, okay, so ones and zeros. So look at this, this is the letter A in the binary language, zero, one, zero, 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 one, okay? I am now going to speak binary to the cameraman with my advanced lighting system, okay? It's through the camera, so hopefully it's not blinding. So here we go, we're gonna do zero, one, zero, 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 oh. You know, I'm just gonna do a lot, okay? Woo, man. <laughs> Some of you parents are like, you're almost as fast as my child. Okay. So, like, what, 15 bits, each of those ones and zeros? That's a bit, okay? So I was like, 15 bits a second? Whew, that's pretty fast. Some of you could try and challenge that, okay? Guess how many bits they were able to send with one of these glass fibers? So how many times you can turn it on and off, I guess you could say? How many bits? 10 billion bits in one second. That's just, what? That's amazing. And being able to do that for much greater distances than had ever been seen before. And in fact, when they finally ran the first fiber cable from the United States over to Europe, um, now we already had phone lines with copper, okay? And that, that copper line was able to hold about 3,000 phone calls at once. That's pretty serious, okay? 
the the fiber cable was able to do around 40,000 phone calls at once. And this has just been growing and growing. Here's a map of some of the main fiber highways today going around the world. And there are so, so, so many more. And our entire internet, which is now everywhere, even in Google, as we heard, um, it's all built on the speed that this fiber can provide. And that is pretty amazing. And just to give us a kind, a kind of vision of where this might go, they say that the limitation of fiber isn't so much that the fiber can't go fast enough. It's we're still figuring out how to use it to send, our, to send the data faster. Like the fastest we can give it, the fiber can handle it. And in fact, in some of the experiments now, let's see if I get these numbers right. In some of the experiments, they got up to 40 terabits over fiber. That's about if, if you, uh, the average HD movie, okay, that's about 10,000 HD movies in one second. You are fixed for your weekend <laughs> and your life. That's a lot of I Love Lucy's, okay? <laughs> so pretty incredible stuff. And, you know, all with glass, but a glass that is so pure that a chemist had to do it. So pay attention to those chemistry classes and it will pay off. Thank you. All right, and now introducing Dr. Roger Billings. That was good. Yeah, that was really good. Boy, I wish I had invented that scum mold computer. Yeah? Yeah. That'd be, that'd be a great science fair project, wouldn't it? Yeah. In fact, I think maybe I did invent it. Really? Mm-hmm. One day we had, you know, that cereal. We called it mush. And um, it was going down slow that day. So I took it outside while I was eating, and then I left it out there. When I came back in two weeks, I think I did have scum mold in my bowl. <laughs> but yeah. I did not, anyway, it's kind of good to be here. So tonight, actually, is the, the last Science Live of the year 2020. Wow. We have next week is off for Christmas, the next week's off for New Year's, the next week we're back. So enjoy your holidays. Okay, and thank you for joining us today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Sincerely, thank you. <laughs> Did I have a choice? <laughs> you always have a choice. Cho okay, well, so this is our finale. Yeah. Finale of the what year. year. What a time to look back and see the marvelous things that have happened during the year. For example, do you remember this? Oh, boy. <laughs> hmm? Yeah, this happened during the year. Yeah. This is when we learned about turning uh, <clears throat> electricity into sound, right? Mm -hmm. And it's uh, it's kind of special because we we made a speaker. Remember this wire mm -hmm. coil mm -hmm. on this side? We had whoops went away. There we go. We had a magnet, and on this side we had a coil. The coil was connected to this very nice photograph. Yes, it yeah. is. <laughs> and when we ran pulses of electricity through the coil, 
the coil created a magnetic field which pulled against the magnet and it made this thing talk, vibrate, make sounds. Do you remember that? I do. It was amazing that it yeah. worked. It is amazing that she could talk so good. Makes many sounds. It was. Well, you know, I think it would be kind of interesting for our finale tonight to be able to see if we could take this to a new higher plane or a higher level. Oh, how fun. It was neat. So you hook up an amplifier here and put sound in here and, and pulls just the right amount, makes this vibrate, makes sound. Okay. Mm -hmm. What if we could get you to talk into this and make it generate power? generate electricity. That'd be quite an experiment, wouldn't it? So could you hold this for us, please? I'm not sure it's so fun anymore. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it really is. Okay. It's very much fun. Now, I just happened to bring some cables. You did, didn't you? <clears throat> it's like so, Mary Poppins' box. Yes, so we'll go ahead. <laughs> Mary Poppins' box. Yes, you have treasures in there. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and hook these wires up. Now, these are the wires we put electricity in to make it vibrate because okay. it make a magnet in the coil, right? Mm -hmm. This time we got a switch here. We're going to go ahead and hook this switch up to this special light bulb, right? So that when you talk, we're going to see if we can actually get some energy through here to, to light up the light bulb. Do you have any questions about this? So when I talk, it's going to create energy. Well, hopefully. That, <laughs> but if my voice is That would work be right. more of a hypothesis than, okay? Uh -huh. So when you're ready, what we need you to do is you talk. You, now you have to go ahead and hold it up to your mouth I'll like this. Can we get a close up on her mouth, please? Here we go. Right now? Okay, right now. here we go. Oh, this is good. Now just talk in there. <laughs> Except we gotta, we got to watch the light bulb while she's talking. Okay, go ahead and say something. Hello, everybody. Nothing's happening. My voice is not the right. I don't think you're frequency. loud enough. You have I'm to not be a little loud bit louder. Yeah, it's a little bit louder. <laughs> oh, oh, I forgot to close the switch. Uh, my bad. Hold on a minute here. There you we go. Still stay like okay, this. Okay, <laughs> I think we're good. Okay, now go ahead. Just a little bit louder, though. Hello, Dr. Billings. It's not could, working. Could it be a little bit louder, please? Hello, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, she did it. That That's good? great. Yeah. Only, you know, it. actually, <laughs> actually, this is kind of important because what we created here was a microphone. And it's interesting. A speaker running backwards is a microphone because her very loud voice caused sound waves to hit this beautiful picture and vibrate it, which moved the coil which was in the magnetic field from this magnet, and so it generated electricity, went down, and it didn't light up the light bulb. We had to cheat with some batteries, you know how that works. This one of those deals where we use our little <laughs> magic trick to... <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it demonstrated the concept, because a microphone puts out a very, very microcurrent that has to be amplified. So okay. why is a microphone? Yep. Mm. Yep, that's it. So, as part of our finale... On behalf of all the students and I, we'd like to thank you for your contributions to science this year. Just, just a minute. Just, just a minute. We're going to go ahead and tidy up after such a great year. Okay. We'd just like to thank you for your great 
contributions to oh. <laughs> would like to thank would, would like to thank so I didn't do a very good job during this year, did I? <laughs> Let me finish. Okay. <laughs> there. Oh, how perfect. Thank you. Let's hear it for Dr. Page. You know, it has been a good year, and a lot of really interesting things have happened. We've learned a lot. And actually, I think uh, we've learned a lot more science than some of us realize. I think so, too. And it's, it's kind of interesting. You know, one of the really wonderful courses in Acellus is the STEM courses. Yep. And we start STEM 1 in the third grade. Well, I want to make sure everybody gets this message. Uh, recently, there's been some talk by parents on the uh, Acellus Academy site saying that our kids are kind of struggling in some of the STEM courses. Yeah. And okay. here, here's the deal. We have STEM 1 that starts in third grade, STEM 2, fourth grade, STEM 3, fifth grade. We're going to keep going. But if you didn't take STEM 1 in the third grade, and you start out in the fifth grade, you don't start on STEM 3. Yeah, you really need to start on STEM 1. Take STEM 1 first, no matter what age you are. In fact, uh, there's stuff in STEM 1 that a lot of college graduates haven't been exposed to because it's newer stuff. So they, the students need to start with STEM 1 no matter what, okay? They do. You agree with that? I Okay, yes, but it really has been. An amazing year, and we've learned some wonderful things. Uh, it's exciting to me to think about what happened during this year in terms of the science we discussed and what's going to happen during this upcoming year. I'm excited about 2021. I think this is going to be the biggest science fair we've ever had. And I've been talking to some of our students today about getting ready for the science fair, and they have been thinking about what they're going to do for their projects. And I want to talk a little bit about that tonight. The science fair has been uh, an activity that really impacted my life. I, I feel like a lot of my success in science started with the science fair when I was a student going to school. And I think it can be that for you. So if you have uh, decided you're going to do a science fair project this year, then congratulations. If you haven't, do up your seatbelt because Dr. Peget is going to tell you why you must. Oh, you must. You must, you must, because if you don't, you will miss out on creating your experiment of learning how to accept things that don't happen very well, of having your hypothesis, and then when it really happens, the excitement of it. Did she say anything? Nope. Yes, she did. <laughs> but you know what? She is absolutely right. This is a, a beaker. Uh -huh. This is a flask. It is. Right? Is this an Erlenmeyer? I thought so. <laughs> no. Is it not? This is a beaker. <laughs> a science fair project is a project that you do usually to answer a science question mm -hmm. or a hypothesis. A lot of the science fair projects are answering questions that some great scientist has already done. And so we're learning how to discover these things. 
The fun of science fair projects are when you can figure out a question that's never been answered before. And you are able to advance mankind's knowledge by just a little step or a little nudge forward. And either way, science fairs are very interesting. And they're the beginning of the science experience that many people have in their lifetimes. Now, we talked a lot about our my science fair projects, mm -hmm. and, and I'd like to talk on that just a little bit more tonight because uh, my, my goal is for you to become inspired to do a science project this year, and more importantly, that you become empowered to have some good ideas on what you should do. A lot of people would like to do a science project where they think, what could it be? That's you could do a project where you make a speaker, okay, or where you make a microphone, or where you do a piece of technology like that, and guaranteed, if you make a speaker, you're gonna learn a lot, especially if you are diligent and take it all the way through. It's interesting that if this was the best speaker on planet Earth, we would not listen to very good music, do we? <laughs> this speaker worked, we could hear it, we could actually hear the music. Yeah, but on my cell phone, I have a little teeny speaker that's better than this. It's louder and it sounds more clear and more plain. In fact, think of how many scientists have worked how many hours to perfect the speakers in our cell phones. They really, really are amazing. And recently, I've been looking at some brand new speakers. This is a, a new speaker put out by a, a very famous speaker company called JBL. Those of you that are Stereo buffs might know about JBL speakers because they make wonderful speakers. They call this the 7 Series. And interestingly, the 7 Series speakers are little. They have a 5-inch diameter woofer and a 7-inch, and, and so they're little. And yet, as they say on their website, they're a breakthrough in technology because they can put out as much sound as the giant speakers have been building for a long time. So is the woofer a little dog in there? Yes, the woofers. <laughs> <laughs> what is a woofer? Yeah, woof, 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 woof. Okay, so in this speaker, we just have one active element. Uh -huh. We just have one photograph of one brilliant scientist vibrating to create the sound. <laughs> yeah. The size of the thing that's vibrating is so big that it's hard to vibrate fast enough for high frequencies. So for high pitch, you gotta vibrate very fast. In fact, for high frequencies, you can get up around 18,000, 20,000 times a second, and we can still hear it with the human ear. On the other hand, low sounds, we can hear clear down to maybe 40 or 50 vibrations a second. So 50 compared to 18,000, there's a big difference. And the size of the speaker makes it better for low notes or better for high notes. And so when they wanna make really professional speakers that sound awesome, they actually put two or usually three speakers in one. And so the big speaker on the bottom, which is very good at making low notes, the great big one down there is called the woofer. 
Oh, yeah, <laughs> and I guess it's because it goes woofer, woofer, oh, and okay. it makes the very low notes. Okay? Like your voice. Yeah, right. And then up on top, there's a little teeny speaker that puts out the very, very high frequencies, the ones that are so high that only people that are almost as good at hearing as dogs can hear. And those are called the tweeters. <laughs> after animals. And you're thinking I made this. I, I, I don't know who Birds named these, but I think it's good. They got a woofer and they got a tweeter. Uh -huh. And then there's one that's in between. Most speakers are called three-way speakers. They've got a low frequency and then a middle range and a high frequency. A tweeter, a woofer, and a mid-range. No, that's not as exciting. Yeah, we, we should name the mid-range something. <laughs> we should. Maybe we could call it the Peugeot. No, no, I'm exciting. <laughs> You're exciting? Okay, yeah. Tweeter? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so they have the big part of the speaker. The woofer make the real low notes. The mid-range makes notes, you know, so bull. And then mid-range, oh, That was pretty good. <laughs> and then I'll let you do the Tweeter. It's the real high one. Tweet! <laughs> Very that was really? great. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you know why she was able to do that better than I was? No. Mm -hmm. We won't go into that. Okay. So that's how they make speakers that sound amazing. But somehow this company, JBL, figured out how to take a great big speaker and put it in a small box mm -hmm. and still have it sound amazing. This little box can consume up to 250 watts of power. For a speaker, that's a lot. That's a lot. And my guess is that's how they made it so small. They made it so that it has an equalizer that pushes out a lot of sound in this little speaker with so much power that it makes enough loudness to be like the big speakers. But just think, now they can send in a little package, they can ship it, and I ran out of words. Oh well, your students absolutely love your red jacket. Okay, well back. They absolutely love your red. So do I. She goes very sharp. Thank you. No, they can ship it for a lot less than a big speaker, uh -huh. and I think it's really amazing. What if someone were to figure out a better way to make a speaker as a science fair project? Have you ever thought of that? Now, let's back up a minute. Someone thought, wow, a big, big woofer mm -hmm. would be good for low noise. A little tiny tweeter, it's a little speaker that goes very fast, very good for very, very high notes, and a mid-range for in between. But to be able to do that, you have to take the sound signal, which coming out of an amplifier is electricity, and you have to send the high frequency notes to the little one and the low frequency notes to the low one. How are you going to do that? How are you going to get three wires coming out of one and this wire is going to take all the real high frequency notes and this, this one's going to take all the real low frequency sounds. How are you going to separate those? Tell us. I know you know. Well, I'm <laughs> sure you do too. I don't want to have all the glory. <laughs> I want you to. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Fair time, no. Fair time, yeah. Someone would have to invent a circuit 
that could just let low frequency sounds through in the wire, electricity, and someone could let high frequency through in the wire. And we literally have to have a little circuit like that in the speaker to be able to separate the sounds and send them to the right place. That's neat. And they do. That's really it's really, really neat. Those technologies apply in a lot of places. What if someone could figure out how to make a better speaker? Remember, a speaker is a, t a device or a tool that takes electricity that's pulsating at the right rate for the sound we want to make and use it to move air, to vibrate air so we can hear it. And there's got to be better ways to do that. Headphones do the same thing, but they do it very small. <clears throat> and quite often, headphones sound amazingly good, don't they? They do. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's, it's time to hydrate. So some of our students are wondering um, how they're going to do the science fair online. I don't quite understand. Why don't you explain to them? <laughs> I'd like to know. Hydrogen water. hydrogen water. Hydrogen water is so amazing. When you breathe hydrogen, did you know that your voice gets hurt? Yes. <laughs> well, not this. It's just hydrogen water. Then when you breathe in another gas, it gets very low. So how do we do the science fair online? I think we should call up Mr. Joshua to explain too. it. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. Okay, Mr. Joshua, you'd like to come up to the microphone and tell us how we're going to enter the science fair over the Internet. Okay. This is Joshua. Here he Hello. is. So you can participate in the science fair from home uh, by participating online. And the way that it works is you do your project, and we have a really great explainer video on the science fair website. So go to acellusacademy.com. Under the menu, you can find the science fair under events. And there's a video, and it explains. You need to have a hypothesis, and then you go through the steps. And when you're all done with the project, you create a video. And the video is of you explaining the results, your hypothesis, and then you submit that video to us, and that's how you're able to participate in the science fair from home. Awesome. All right, so in other words, you're going to do your science fair project, then you're going to videotape it, or you're going to have you know, your assistant videotape it, mm -hmm. and then that videotape will be what we use to let other people enjoy it and also to let the judges judge your entry. Now, I think we need to have some suggestions tonight on what students would like as prizes this year. Oh, definitely. I'm just thinking, you know, we, we've got to get people inspired and motivated. And one is to just get them really excited about the science. Do you know this is made out of the same glass they use for fiber optic? I didn't know that. Yeah. It's a beaker with a the, handle. The, yeah, this is what Tobias was talking about. What kind of glass is it? It's uh, see-through glass. <laughs> but to think okay. that they could turn this into a strand. You know, in, in my company called Wideband, we manufacture networking equipment that actually sends data over fiber. And in one little fiber strand, one continuous strand, we can go over 100 miles wow. just through a fiber, which is really amazing. It and is. it goes very, very, very fast. Right now, the ones that we sell travel or, or load 10 billion bits of data every second. And we have one in the laboratory that we haven't offered for sale yet that is 100 billion. It's really kind of neat, isn't it? So I would like 
to ask for some ideas of things you would like to have for science fair prizes this year. Now, remember, if you recommend something, and if we figure out how to get it for a prize, you got to enter. <laughs> I mean, that's only fair, isn't it? Oh, that is, that is if they say, you know, if you had this prize, I would enter. Yeah. And I know some of them are thinking about a Learjet. Yeah, maybe I'll enter this time. <laughs> yeah, maybe you'll enter, huh? Yeah. But seriously, the, the prizes should be something that would be very special. And I'm looking for good ideas. Some of the prizes, you know, uh, are available because of the number of students that are involved in our science fair. I think I could contact some of the big shakers and movers in our nation and say, hey, wouldn't you like to donate a prize for our science fair? Like maybe SpaceX will give us a spaceship. <laughs> that would be or one of those satellites yeah. or even one of the pizza boxes mm -hmm. that is the receiver that receives mm -hmm. wouldn't it be fun when those little trains go over you have your internet work now till they get a whole bunch of them up there I guess it would be thing train goes over and you can do your cellist and the train goes by let's <laughs> <laughs> wait for another turn but it is exciting so what prizes would really make sense now uh, some of you here uh, with us in the auditorium tonight might have some ideas. Uh, Ruby? Somebody? Okay. Felicia. Uh, first prize maybe to have some travel here. Oh, Felicia says that her idea of a prize would be to travel here and attend Science Live live. That's a good what a idea. great idea. Mm -hmm. What a great idea. We would love that. And I think 2021 is going to be a travel year, isn't it? I'm glad Because you said there's that. a lot of pinned up people that want to travel that haven't had much chance this year. And so next year, I think we're going to get, get things moving in. We're right here at the airport. Wouldn't that be fun? Mm -hmm. And for those of you that do have a chance to come through Kansas City, we would love to meet you. And uh, we have a pretty good crowd, so you need to let us know because we're usually pretty full except right now we're on COVID restrictions so we have a lot of chairs but we don't let anyone in but that would be that would be fun uh, someone else yes I have a lot of them here all right uh, <laughs> let's hear yours one is a new phone a new phone a new phone <laughs> so uh, a cell phone hmm would they prefer Android iPhone or Something else. I think they're just hoping malicious. I don't know what Just a phone. Want. Okay, good. A phone would be a lot of fun, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. And maybe we could even get a phone with a year's data plan or something. Yeah. That'd be great. You know, we're right here where the world headquarters of Sprint is. And they now join forces with T-Mobile. Yep. So maybe that would be a fun thing, wouldn't it? That's a good, good idea. Uh, Joshua, you know those people. Why don't you talk? That's a great prize. A phone and maybe even a data plan. That'd be great. You can do a Celis on it. Okay, mm -hmm. what else? A Celis robot for coding. And a Celis robot for coding. Yep. That is an excellent idea. Mm -hmm. Okay. Robot kits. Robot kits. Yes, robot kits. Hmm, what kind of kits? They didn't specify. They didn't specify. <laughs> nope. Hmm. John, I guess for... STEM 4, we need a robot kit. That would be fun. That would be. Okay, what else? And a Cellus sweatshirt. 
an Acela sweatshirt. That's a good idea. We don't have an Acela sweatshirt, no, we do we? We need one. I, I, I don't think David's here tonight, see? Nope. Okay, so David, assuming that you're listening in tonight, we have a message. Solace sweatshirt. We, we should get one developed, and we should offer that as a science fair prize, shouldn't we? What do you think it should say? I love a Solace. No, I don't know. <laughs> That's not really what I think it should be. Why not? <laughs> How about something honest and descriptive like, I made this science fair entry with blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> I went through the optimism curve, yeah, and I did it. Yeah. yeah. I can remember on my science fair project going, learning about the optimism curve and being mm -hmm. very discouraged, giving up many, many times, but the next day reviving my enthusiasm going forward. See, that's what I was trying to say when you asked me why they okay, should enter, but they didn't come out that eloquently. Didn't come out that way? Okay. <laughs> Give us two more ideas. Two more. Um, science kits. Science kits. Hmm. I don't know. Do you want this one? That's from Brandon. Dinner with Roger Billings, fully paid. <laughs> why would Brandon want to pay for my dinner? <laughs> it would be such an honor to meet you. Oh, I, th I think it would be great. Tell him that, you know, if he wins the science fair and comes for dinner, we'll get Dr. Peget to pay. As long as I get a go, then I'll pay. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. Well, these are good There's ideas. And uh, we're going to look at these ideas after we get finished with this, this session. But I'm really serious about the science fair. Last year was the biggest and the best we've ever had. This year, I would like to make it be something bigger and better. Now, the, the thing that stops most people is figuring out exactly what you're going to do. And uh, actually figuring out what you're going to do, choosing what you're going to do, figuring out how to do it is really the secret of science. That's why the science fair works so well. Coming up with a question that's worth answering is, is a mighty big part of it. And I'll tell you a little secret about that. Uh, you don't necessarily need something that is worth answering in the opinion of Dr. Peget and I. Mm -hmm. You only need to find something that's worth answering to you. Okay? In fact, to you, the most important person for the science fair is you and what you're going to get out of it. So you need something that you're really interested in. And it could be learning something about a bird, something about an insect. You know, it's really fun. There, some insects have really strange things they do in their lives. Uh, one really interesting thing, of course, we've talked about is caterpillars mm -hmm. that spin cocoons which aren't really cocoons, why aren't they? Cocoons are for, well, what are you asking? Yeah, that's what I'm <laughs> going to say, moths. So what do they call it? Chrysalis, if Chrysalis. it's a butterfly. Uh -huh. But it's the same thing. It is. Yeah, I mean, we're being technical here. But interesting. Uh, a question, how long does a butterfly spend in the chrysalis or the cocoon? How long 
does it live in there? And, and how does that transformation take place? Metamorphosis, it's called. And it's impossible. Uh, Houdini, the magician, created an illusion that made him famous. And he named his illusion after butterflies and, and caterpillars. He called it metamorphosis, which is the process of going from a caterpillar to a butterfly, which is incredibly amazing when you think about it. Yes. And so he did an illusion that he was saying is incredibly wonderful, and it made him pretty famous. And I know about that illusion because when I started doing magic, I figured out how he did it. And I built that trick and I performed it. Now I came along a long time after Houdini. And during those many, many decades since, since the end of his life, the world changed. When I did my version of metamorphosis, Man had just walked on the moon. And after watching on television men walking on the moon, it wasn't nearly as exciting to see that old trick. And I actually went on a, on a tour, a magic tour, to perform this trick as part of a show with my university. And when I got up there in front of the audiences and I started doing this trick, people were... <laughs> And people loved it during Houdini's time. Now, maybe he was a better performer. But I think people wanted more. So in the middle of that tour, I invented a new trick using the same big red trunk. And that new trick became my signature trick. That new trick is how I got to be invited to perform at the Magic Castle in Hollywood and a lot of other things. We're going to have, this year we're going to have to show that, aren't we? That'd be fun. Yeah. I think that would really, really be fun. So you need to have a question that you want answered. And it could be studying insects. It could be study, studying slime mold. It could be doing so many, many, many things. You know, yesterday... Uh, one of our amazing university students here showed me a, a video of some robot fish. These are fish swimming underwater in a tank, and their eyes are LEDs. They're beautiful. In fact, uh, this particular uh, robot fish was created by a team over in Korea, South Korea. And I was so impressed. I think I'm going to reach out to them. I would love to have a big aquarium full of robot, beautiful robot fish. Fish are, are amazing. I started thinking about how I would go about designing a robot fish. And I decided I'd probably make mine out of glass. Did you know that when I was in the ninth grade that I met a chemistry glass blower? a guy that would blow glass and I asked him if he would teach me how and I would go and clean and do things for him and then he'd teach me how to blow glass. When you blow glass you heat it in a flame mm -hmm. and as it starts to get soft then you can shape it and bend it because glass becomes very flexible when it's very hot and as it cools down it becomes hard again. So quite often you'd heat up like the end of a piece of tubing like this and then you blow on it and it would get big 
and you could actually shape things with the heat, glass blowing. It's neat. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with glass blowing. If you take a piece of glass like this and heat it just in one little spot, then blow. If you blow very hard, it'll blow out. But just blow gentle, then it'll bulge out and it'll make a great big pimple right there. And so the glass blower that trained me had been trained for many, many years in Europe, and he was a master glass blower. And so around the holiday season, we decided, <clears throat> might have been my idea, we decided <laughs> that we were gonna set up a glass blowing stand. And I found a little store near the university that would let us set up a little display, and he brought in tanks of, of gas and his glass blowing torch, and he would start heating the glass and bending and connecting and pulling and making shapes. And he'd get these whole big crowds of people watching him. And then when he was done, he would sell the pieces that he made. He made deer, he made oh, swans. Right oh, and there is some of the very glass blowing that I made. Now, I want to tell you, his looked a lot better than that. <laughs> I think that's neat. But if you look, there's my little deer. It uh -huh. looks like this was before deer existed. <laughs> but, uh, and, then, and then the other one is a little dinosaur. Uh -huh. And if you look, along the dinosaur, there are little pricks sticking up. Can you uh -huh. see those? Yep. And what would happen is I would heat that on the flame, and I'd take a piece of glass, stick to it, and then pull it up and melt it off. And that's how those would be made. And if we can take a look at that one more time, you can see that he has one little prick up by his neck. And I had it so you could fill it up with water and you could blow in a little hole on the tail and it would squirt you right in the forehead. <laughs> yeah. And how old were you? Wow, that's kind of a... I don't want to go into that right now, <laughs> but uh, glass blowing is an amazing thing. So I would make the glass into fish, and then I would use some of Johnny's muscle wire uh -huh. to make the fish swim. Oh, let's do it. That'd be fun. Science fair projects can be working on all kinds of things like that, and quite often if you decide, I'm going to make a robot fish for a science fair project, mm -hmm. well, the first year you may just work on how to make the tail wag back and forth. And just doing that would be a wonderful first year project. You could probably win dinner paid for by Paget or something like go. that, you know, or, <laughs> or, or a sweatshirt or whatever. So they want a sweatshirt. I want yeah. you to have a wonderful holiday season. I want everybody thinking about science. If you see round ornaments, just think round is a science shape. It is, it, it is. is. And think about 2021 and the science fair and see if during this holiday season you can find a project that you'd like to do. I want to see a lot of projects. Okay? They want a sweatshirt with your signature on it. Sounds like you had a new signature of Roger Billings. Hmm. Just like that? Just like that. Roger Billings. That'd be good because I'm pretty good at signing. Yeah, he has an amazing signature. Final, final story this year. <laughs> when I started my first company, it was really little. It was only me and one other guy. And so when we have payday, I just have to sign my check. And then I have to sign his check. And so then it grew and it grew and it grew. And pretty soon I had like 350 employees. 
And every two weeks is payday, and they bring the checks, and I have to sit there. <laughs> it took hours to sign paychecks. And so I decided one day I need to invent a new signature. So I did. And I worked on it, worked on it. It used to take me R O G E R, Billings, times 350. <laughs> so I came up with this new one, this Roger E. Billings. It went away and it was just R Billings. And I learned to do it like this. That's and neat. I still do it today. <laughs> then I found an even better way to do it. No. Make Joe sign the checks. <laughs> <laughs> Swear he'd read it. All right, well, thank you. And uh, really appreciate you joining us this year. Look forward to a really, really amazing 2021. We're going to call it 2021, the year of the science fair. Okay? Okay. Thank you. Well, thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next year. Have a good one. <laughs>